0: hey this is kevin from kevin's barbecue joints and welcome to the kevin's barbecue joints podcast this one's really great it's with grant pinkerton from pinkerton's barbecue with location in houston texas as well as san antonio texas that san antonio one is a newer location what i like so much about this is that i learned so much about Grant it. I didn't really know much about him. I had seen some interviews, some brief interviews, and I also saw some stuff online, read some stuff about him, but I didn't really know him as a person. And I think that you will go away from this knowing Grant more. I know his passion. I know his passion is for barbecue, but he has deeper passions that include rhetoric and writing and philosophical thought. And it's, just, it, it's really special. And I'm, we're kindred spirits in many different ways. And his genuineness comes through. This is there's a lot to unpack in this. I'm going to try to make this intro sort of brief. It's an hour interview. We do get into the fact that he loves competition barbecue. He's involved with that. He is a two-time world beef champ at Memphis in May, which is incredible. His red sauce came in 11th out of 168. His mustard sauce came in eighth or ninth out of 168. And he's extremely proud about that. And he talks about why he does that. And I think you'll understand when you hear about it, but it makes sense. And Those worlds don't always collide or even mesh. It's interesting to hear about that. I don't do a lot of interviews with people on the competition side just because I focus a lot more on the restaurants. And there's a lot of fun stories because he and his his wife now, but they lived uh, above the restaurant in Houston for three and a half years. And there's a lot of fun stories about that. It's really quite interesting when you delve deeper into what that was like living above a barbecue joint. We talk about what he went into to make the San Antonio place the place that he really wanted it to be. We go a lot at the beginning and throughout into his business philosophy and how he approaches business. And he also mentioned to me that he is going to start having classes. So I'll put a link below to all their stuff because in late October, there's gonna be a class. There'll be also a class in the fall. And these classes are going to be unique, especially the fall, potentially spring class will be whole hog in a different way than anyone else's teaching whole hog. So I can't thank Grant enough for sharing his time, sharing his story, being forthright about everything. I, I do think that you'll want to visit both locations. They're open six days a week now, Tuesday through Sunday. I'll put the hours and everything below when he talks about that in the interview. But it's definitely eye-opening and really enjoyable. I have a website at kevinsbbqjoints.com. I'm on all the social media at kevinsbbqjoints. At the end, stay safe and visit your local barbecue joint. Good afternoon, Grant. So good to talk to you. Good to see you. Yeah. So how are you doing right now? How are things going for both your businesses? I want to get, we'll get back into kind of your past, but not too deep into it. But I want to give people a chance to know more about each specific restaurant and kind of why you chose to open a second restaurant all that good stuff. But how are things, how's your mindset right now?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, it's great. We have a, we have an awesome team of people. We work really well together and, um all the way from managers uh, all the way down to the people washing dishes and that kind of stuff and i try to not say the term restaurant family because i tell people that work for me i'm like you have your family then you have your co-workers and then you have your friends and it's really important to keep all of those three things they can co-mingle a little bit but you know for your health it's probably better to uh when you leave work clock out and go hang out with your friends you know
0: that's good advice. I don't actually,
1: Just hang out with your coworkers all the time and come back. I said, we all love each other and we're all here for each other. But at the end of the day, your family is your family.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it should be a, a, a comfortable place like like visiting a fam a, a friend's family and being welcomed in and <laughs> nice. But, yeah, when you leave, you check out. And that's it's, it's weird, too, because I know I've left jobs and people have expected to become friends. And it was like the reason why we
1: were close was because we were working all the time together. Absolutely. That was the thing you had in common, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you know like, funny enough, sometimes this happens too, where, you know, you go out with coworkers or whatever like that, and you just have that natural inclination of like talking about work, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of the one thread you have in common. So you keep talking about it. And before you know it, you're probably meddling in waters that aren't necessarily the best to meddle in meddling or, uh, you know, take yourself to a mental place that it's not the safest spot to be. Leave work at work.
0: That is smart. That's, that's really smart. How, how big is your staff now?
1: Um, we have somewhere fluctuates between like 85 and 92 employees. At both locations. Between the two stores, yeah. So San Antonio is a bit um, more staffed than Houston from a number standpoint, but, you know, not too much. We've had a lot of people that have worked for us for four plus years, um, two plus years, which is great in, in our business, uh, especially at the Houston location. You know that we have a lot of people that have been there for a really long time. That's great. Yes,
0: do you have some people that have been there from day one?
1: I do. Wow, that's
0: a big deal. That means something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not every business has yeah. that.
1: No, no. You know, and just I mean, to stick in, especially in today's day and age, to stick in one job for six or seven years, mm-hmm. um, is pretty uncommon. You know, people like to move around and do different things. I think I I was reading something a while back that said um, most people in my generation will have somewhere between five and ten jobs in their lifetime, which wow. I'm like sitting there thinking about like, oh shit! I, <laughs> sure I only have one, but you know, you never know. Um, I love business, so uh, yeah, you might open
0: up maybe some maybe some ancillary businesses.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, but that's no, that that's that is true, and it's I I think that ten people tend to, especially with so many options and different things these days, and so many distractions, they get this itch, and then they unless it's something that they really enjoy or they feel like they're being treated well, like I, there's a lot of jobs I've never that I've had that I haven't been treated well or if you feel like you're not being compensated right. properly like even mentally compensated
1: right yeah we're I'm a huge believer in work-life balance and I try to bring that uh, to the very forefront with you know my especially with my managers and uh, you know really everybody that works here I I want you to have a, a life outside of work um, yeah. there will be times where you can't um, but that's true in, in any profession right that's true for me that's true yeah. for Doctors, lawyers, you know, when sometimes work demands, um, you know, 90% of your attention uh, for weeks at a time. But there's other times where it's time to decompress and take a few days off. And like, I'll tell them, no, like leave, go have a, you know, a three day weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you don't need to be here. You know, sometimes uh, we'll send people from Houston to tag out people in San Antonio or, oh, that's like that. Just, hey, you know, you need a breather. You know, I mean, I, I love to think of um, business and especially the restaurant business a lot like a um, football team. Okay. Um, I'm a big football fan, and I, I'd say I'm I'm the head coach. But like, um, if you, it's really important to have a great offensive coordinator, or a great defensive coordinator, and I equate those people to being your your managers, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, I can't run the offense the whole time. If I'm running the offense the whole time, I'm neglecting other things in my job, right? Um, my offensive coordinator should not really be meddling in the defensive coordinator's, you know, kind of situation. They kind of need to stay in their lane and stay focused. And if they can take care and do their job, then it'll make it the job easier for everybody else. And then underneath them, they have their players that they need to coach, get the most out of. And, you yeah. know, like guys on a football team, everybody has different personalities. So we really are. We can call ourselves managers, owners, all that kind of stuff. But really, at the end of the day, we're coaches. And we're trying to get the most out of each person and and individual in our organization um, and keep them happy and engaged. And, uh, you know, if you've done any sports or anybody out there who's done sports knows that each person requires different kind of coaching. Some people have to be. Um, kind of hard with, and other people really need um, kind of some coddling and love and to really get the most out of them. You know, that's one of the things I love about being in the restaurant businesses, just doing that and kind of getting this oiled machine running and um, seeing people grow, learn and getting the most out of them.
0: Yeah. And imagine too, what this is for their life path. Like this is a a stepping stone in their life. And if you can make, if you could propel them towards even greater things in the life or if it's still working with you, right? that's a big deal. That's like, and, and it's, I was gonna, I was curious as to, did you ever imagine that it would be, you'd have almost a hundred employees when you first started this in Houston? Like, is that something that, or did you, did you have grand ideas with this or was this something where you just wanted to open a restaurant?
1: No, it's, it's very organic. You know, I mean, I, I tell people the story a lot was when I was a little kid and people asked me what I wanted to do, you know, I would tell them, Oh, I love to open a restaurant. And I loved him. I just had this like kind of romantic oh. idea of, you know, being in a restaurant. And I, I love talking to people and talking to guests. And I-, I, you know, I'm a big sports guy, obviously. And so I like that team element, um, all that kind of stuff. And like the response you get from everybody when you're 12 years old and tell people that you want to run a restaurant is, you're crazy that's yeah. a terrible idea you'll never see your family and they pretty much always fail and you're like oh okay like which is a horrible thing to tell kids <laughs> yeah exactly parents, yeah, yeah don't parents, dream big at all <laughs> my parents never said that to me but you know other people who you'd mention it to and so yeah. i kind of went through life thinking about what else i could do and i, I really like business you know so um kind of went just through it kind of knowing that i'd be an entrepreneur and then i got out of college. And uh, I remember having like, a very clear conversation with my dad one day about, you know, I, I really just kind of have this passion for sales, uh, like uh, business and selling things, but I want to sell a product I believe in. Like, I don't think that I can, I think I could be really great at it, but I can't go and do this for something that I don't yeah. in my heart truly believe is the best. And like in, on the side, I just started kind of cooking barbecue for fun and selling it. And I was just working at Uh, The front desk at a a friend's gym, and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, You know, obviously, I'd gotten a degree in rhetoric and writing. So, and I'm very passionate about the outdoors. So, as another kind of entrepreneurial side job, I wanted to start photographing and writing for outdoor magazines and Ah. like maybe doing some guiding and things like that. Just that's where I find peace um, in the outdoors. And so, I thought it'd be cool to see if I could make a job out of it but you know the barbecue thing was going and that was going to be that was kind of making me some money and then i kind of realized i'm like you know there's actually money in cooking food and it's something that i'm passionate about like i've always loved cooking i started at a very young age i was doing a super bowl party for somebody who was uh, i cooked hogs in high school that i'd raised in FFA. And I'm, so I did these like oh. whole hog roasts at my house. One of the guys that worked at the gym I was having a Super Bowl party and asked me to help cook this pig for a Super Bowl party. So I went, like showed up at four o'clock in the morning, put it on a rotisserie, you know, cooked it like old school over a, a spit style a hog. And like, we're done. The game's coming on. He hands me like 200 bucks cash. And he was like, man, thank you so much for coming over here and doing that. And I really wasn't anticipating getting paid or anything. I just had a great time hanging out there and doing it. And I remember going home and I called my mom and dad because I was living at their house. And I'm like, "Hey, I got 200 bucks for cooking a hog. If I could just find somebody where I could cook a pig every weekend, I'd be making yeah. like more money doing this than I am at my job right now." And it was like that aha moment. They're like, "Hey, somebody can pay me for my passion." So. I, um, started just kind of after sit down conversation with my boss, you know, he was like, Hey Grant, you don't have a girlfriend. You don't have any debt. You live at your parents' house. Now's the time you're 23, 24. Now is the time for you to be an entrepreneur. And then like amazingly, all my hours got cut, you know, the following few weeks. And he's like, "You can." So he do was it
0: like kind of pushing you out
1: hundred percent, you know, no, cool. and, uh, he's like, your barbecue is great. I love it. Um, you can use my, um, parking lot as a pop-up spot. So I went on and bought a, uh, trailer, uh, smoker from Craigslist from a Liberty that was built by Liberty County agriculture class in the nineties. And I literally had my first Pinkerton's barbecue pop up like five days later.
0: Really? And it was, was it called Pinkerton's? Yep. Just-
1: and I, and I drew my uh, logo that we still have today out on a napkin with my brother and we traded, um. uh, Things back and forth, and I said I, I kind of want like a old belt buckle or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's what. It is. And uh, he's art very artistic, and I'm not super artistic from the drawing perspective, but I got a lot of cool things going on in my head. So yeah. between him and I, we kind of got to sketch out, and I like bummed some time off of a guy who's a student at u of h and he digitized it for me i was like okay well we're pinkerton's barbecue you know so uh it was born
0: and what did you sell that were you selling
1: hog or were you selling we did brisket ribs um chicken that first one i think i did a couple sides maybe my beans and a potato salad and cheese rice like
0: the Um, potato salad that has been talked about like the one that you okay
1: that is that is my potato salad, so I get personally offended when people are, don't like it, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not a- better about not taking it to heart, you know. But I really like it. I, from what I've read and seen, I think I on the
0: what was it barbecue? What's a uh, barbecue quest? Is that the you uh-huh. were most recently on talking about the pepper? I I didn't know know about the pepper issue. Yeah, yeah,
1: that was a huge mistake on my part. I actually went to cook it for my grandmother, and we were made. It was. You know, before Pinkerton's barbecue happened, and I was trying to shake some pepper into it, and the whole top came off. And then I like, scooped a bunch out. Yeah, did you scoop mixed all right. it all in? And then I tasted, I was like, oh, this is actually really good. Like, it's better like this. And so it just, it's zingy and has a lot of pepper, and it just it actually just grows really great with barbecue.
0: So is that is the biggest complaint that it's too peppery, or is that, or is it just? No, we really don't here? have
1: very many complaints. Like people love that potato salad. That's awesome. That's
0: and that's served at both locations, right? Absolutely. So, so are you? Because I know that you've talked about how all these other people have this almost like a similar path into barbecue. Were you looking online at things? Like, were you looking at or buying books? Like, or were you self-taught?
1: I'm um, uh, and uh, kind of interestingly enough, like I've read one barbecue recipe my entire life um and that was back when i was in high school and it was the legends of texas cookbook Mm -hmm. recipe for brisket and it was salt pepper and like just smoke it for uh at like 225 for an hour a pound you know it's like super rudimentary well and i was like okay well it seems simple enough And i got had my little weber smoky mountain going in the backyard and Made that brisket with, and it was awesome. (laughs) And then I tell people I proceeded to screw up every single one for a long time. I mean, they were okay, but like I remember that first one being like fire, you know. And then
0: maybe got too cocky inside your head or something. And then, oh,
1: my thing was, I started effing with the recipe, you know, okay, well, I'm gonna add some garlic powder and cumin Uh, and this, and I'm gonna. And it was just one of those things. I mean, naturally when you're young and like I love to cook, I did want to add flavors to it, but you know, the old tried and true is great. We still just use salt and pepper to this day. And once I kind of reverted back to the more traditional recipe, the brisket came back. But that first brisket I cooked was with mesquite. I love mesquite. Uh, I love mesquite. And you strictly
0: you use, mesquite right now?
1: We use a uh, half mesquite, half post oak. Okay. So we, I mean, we cook on really big pits and we have a ton of combustion. So there's really no downside to using something like that. And I find that it gives uh, the beef a particularly great like earthy note um, that isn't found in a lot of other um, meat. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, br- uh, brisket with mesquite or barbecue with mesquite is, is this so creosote and this, that and the other. Well, I can make one with post oak that is just as creosote as a mesquite brisket, if I want to, you know what I'm saying? You choke the fire back, you smoke it to hell, but if you're burning really clean, sometimes it's almost hard to like even get anything, but just those kind of like subtle post oak notes. Right. Um, and I just, I just found that, that like mesquite adds a really cool, like nutty, almost like umami element to, um, beef.
0: Is it, are, do, are people against uh, mesquite because it does it have a higher moisture content or something? A
1: lot of backyard cooks, they like try to cook with it. And I mean, you know, kind trying of to think
0: I know I've cooked with it, but I don't recall
1: it being like an analogy I would use with hunting. It's like a lot of people will tell you that wild pig is like really gross, but wild pig is freaking delicious. Most people just don't know how to cook it or completely screw it up somewhere in the process. It's same thing with mesquite. You know, I mean, how many times have you, have you go, gone online and seen somebody's advice to like, okay, first step, soak your wood chips in water. Okay, yes. well, if you do that with mesquite, like that shit is gonna be like, probably yeah. pretty bitter, you know? Yeah. So stick with, you know, tried and true, burn clean wood, burn a clean fire, have white smoke, or I mean, blue smoke, and you'll be good.
0: I didn't want to forget, and it popped in my head when you said umami, what you use, for a certain dish, beef rib burn ends, do you do use mushroom powders that way or something? Oh, yeah, my
1: grand champion beef rub. So, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a two time world beef champion. Uh, Memphis in May. May. yeah, I should put those two trophies behind me. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that rub has a bunch of different types of mushroom powders in it, and like that umami flavor on the burn ends is, or really on any beef, is freaking outstanding. On like a ribeye steak burgers I mean I really um love cooking with that stuff it's one of those rubs that I don't have a single other beef rub in my house except for that one and one that's like a base coat that I'm about to come out with okay um and I I use that stuff on everything
0: do you have the mushroom in a a seasoning that you sell is that something that you sell yeah it's called grand
1: grand champion our grand champion I'll put a link
0: below okay okay cool I didn't apologize for not knowing that that's awesome
1: It's on our comeandeatit.com. So we sell a lot of it. Um, It's not the cheapest seasoning because of the ingredients in it. But uh, so many people that have ordered it are, you know, that's all they use now for any of their beef products. It's really great. And it was pretty funny. Like at Memphis and May, I smoked all my stuff using mesquite. And if you go talk to people in Mississippi or Tennessee or any of those places, they're like, oh, I can't eat mesquite barbecue. It's so nasty. Blah, blah, (laughs) blah, blah. yeah. Well, that was like the dirtiest secret in the world that I let it out that I cooked the, you know, two beef dishes at one over with mesquite.
0: And what was that feeling? What is it like a lot of people like that are in the barbecue world or watching or listening aren't really necessarily part of that competition world? What was it like winning? And like, that must have been. Incredibly oh, yeah, dude, that was exhilarating. Awesome. Oh, I
1: like one of the my, be- my highlights of my barbecue career was doing that. Uh, now I have my own team we take and we compete in Hog 2, Whole Hog. But, you know, I've always loved uh, the competition side of barbecue. Look, I'm I'm wearing an insane canned posse shirt right now for uh, cooking on drums, you know. But to me, it was it's a great way to have my creative outlet, you know. Like at the restaurant, I want to serve true traditional Texas barbecue. So I can't, like, get funky and play with weird flavor profiles and, like, really kind of stretch the limit yeah. of, barbecue cooking um expected
0: to be consistent too yeah that. and
1: I, I just love um that idea of like building flavor profiles putting it on there testing stuff i mean all the way down from, from you know your injection i mean we've gotten to the point now where we're we're cooking off our own broths to put oh to that's interesting. injections you know just so you're building that flavor profile mm-hmm. from literally the center of the meat all the way out to the, the finishing uh dust that we'll put on stuff
0: so are you doing just Memphis and May or do you do other competitions?
1: Um, I do. Uh, I do others as well. You know, if um, I if have free time and can do it. I'll go around. I always compete at the Houston has a world championship. I always compete at that one. And then I try to hit like maybe four or five larger. Um, I know that uh, used to be IBCA or CBA cookoffs. Um, like San Antonio has a real big one that I'll do. And, you know, just I've, this year I wanted to do, San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Memphis, all kind of in a spring run, um, but it's just a whole other side of the barbecue community, and it's really funny, like, the competition community doesn't really uh, commingle with restaurant community, no, the fair. restaurant community doesn't commingle with yeah. um, the other, and it's really, that's just kind of an anomaly with Texas, because when I leave Texas to go to compete, or um, even go cook with other teams, like, I just recently did one in Virginia, we did a hog uh, uh mbn which is Mem- uh, memphis barbecue network uh mm-hmm. cook off in galax virginia and i did it with some friends from mississippi like those people have restaurants and compete they all know each other it's a huge community people from florida mississippi tennessee alabama like it's a huge community yes. but like here it's like wicked divided yeah yeah, yeah. And like, never the two shall meet <laughs> It's you know, such a strange competition thing. Competition cooks it. don't know what they're doing. Restaurant cooks don't know what they're doing. You know, it's just. It's yeah, just and if a
0: competition crazy. guy opened a restaurant, they're like, ah, oh, like people are up in arms. Yeah, they and like, roll their he doesn't eyes know what he do. he's
1: doing. So that they try to bring like competition food to the everyday diner. And it's just so many steps, so hard to on a, to scale it. Um, and it's just not conducive to eating a whole tray. Like, that's what I tell people. I'm like, you wouldn't want five or six of my competition ribs and three slices of brisket. Like you would throw up and be like, <laughs> plugged up for a week. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not, as not, not a good idea.
0: Have you ever, oh, you're not a judge or have you ever taken like that? Isn't there a course to become a judge or. Yeah.
1: For KCBS, um, MBN, there are judging classes. So it's actually a really good idea if you're going to compete to go take a judging class. So you kind of know what they're looking mm-hmm. for. And like, I try to tell a lot of people too, like the competition side of things is, You know, how many salt and pepper briskets are you going to cook at 250 to 275 wrapped in butcher paper? Like, uh, I'll be, if I'm the first one to say, that's fine. Like, it gets old. Like, yeah, the same thing in, day in and day out. With the competition stuff, yes, there are very arbitrary guidelines. But now that I've done it for a long time, I've realized that those are really actually important to kind of the integrity of the competition itself because we've done some that don't have it. And it's really hard when you know they say look you can't sauce in the box you can't cut your stuff up well it's really hard if i'm gonna be turning in my you know beautiful eight nice cherry red ribs and they're in a the box they look beautiful but we're not going to judge on appearance okay so now some guy who comes in and dumps casey masterpiece which these judges just off the street might like yeah oh that guy wins it's like yeah but that really isn't in the spirit of who the best cook is out here yeah yeah, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things that uh, me and Matt Pittman were actually talking about that after the last year's Houston Rodeo. Like, more ju- educated judging and, like, firm guidelines create a better playing field mm-hmm. because you know what you need to be cooking for. Yeah, you want to love a better
0: playing um, field. Then it-
1: and, like, if you're a good cook, like, it's kind of fun to be like, hey, you need to cook a piece of brisket that looks like this and tastes good and fits in this like i call it like Take, precision
0: cooking that's interesting no that's and it's and i guess yeah he would he would skirt those worlds because of
1: his rubs and stuff that's right
0: he does both sides he and he has a lot of the home cooks and stuff. yeah that's it's, it's it's interesting because along this path i've been doing this for man, more years than i imagined uh but it's i've i've come in contact with a competition world but there are people that kind of report and talk about that world a lot more than i do i just right. i'm I'm more of the restaurant because I've been worked at restaurants and done stuff, but it's, right. it's, it's fascinating. That's cool that that's, I didn't know that that was completely your side. I know you had won best in beef or is it. Uh, yeah. Best it's
1: in- just a beef category. So you can turn in any beef. So most people are doing brisket. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of people did beef ribs before. Some people just do like a KCBS which just Kansas city barbecue style burn ends. And I was like, yeah, well, if people are doing brisket burn ends. Like, what's better than brisket burn ends, like beef rib burn. Yes, definitely. So, is Some that sold
0: people? at both your restaurants?
1: The what? Nope. Okay. It's like so labor and like that process of me making this is like this, but I didn't know if maybe, maybe it was maybe a, spe- you're come a over special to house, you <laughs> okay. know, you might, you might be able to sneak one or something. I don't know.
0: Okay. No, this it just sounds so good. Okay. So that's, that's why I've heard it brought up as just, it's something that people have had, but it's not something that you have at your restaurants.
1: Correct. Yeah. It's a, it's an enigma, but it, they're delicious. I They're like little, like, beef barbecue brownies. I mean, they're sweet. They're super savory. Nice. They're smoky. Um, they have a big umami punch in the middle of them. Like it's just, they're good. Uh,
0: no, it just, it sounds, it sounds so good. Do you have burn ends at either of your restaurants just in general or is it?
1: We tell people we have burn ends every day. You just have to be lucky to get, you know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, that was one, actually one of the things like when we opened the restaurant um, so many people would come in, I guess, just based off the history of the places in Houston that would like cut the burnt ends off a brisket and give it to people if they asked for it. And so I told people, I'm like, no, if you want the burnt ends, like order yeah. the five slices of fatty brisket it's going to take to get to the burnt ends. I'm not just going to like strip all the burnt ends off of all my briskets in the first hour and a half of opening so that you guys can just eat burnt ends. That's not how this is going to work. It was actually kind of adjustment. Like I had a lot of people that weren't down with that.
0: Yeah, well, but, but you did, you open your restaurant
1: uh 16 16
0: so yeah. still so people were starting to houston people in houston were starting to understand barbecue a little bit more like the i guess not i hate to say central texas style because it's, it's
1: it's craft barbecue craft
0: barbecue yeah
1: you know people were starting to understand like paying more money prime beef you know non-bucket sides but there was still a huge uneducated group of people out there that had no idea i mean well i remember one lady came in and asked for food and I was on the line cutting back then and she wanted a plate and I was like 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 I was like well we don't sell plates here and she's like no I want a physical plate to eat on I'm like well, <laughs> no everything here is served on butcher paper and a tray and she said I can't eat off of that and of course you know, i had open open like two months so I was trying to accommodate everybody you know yeah. and I'm like well this is how we serve it. And she was like kind of making a pretty big fuss about it. And so I said, you know what? Just hold on one second. And I went, you know, I used to live upstairs, right, of my first location. And I literally went up into my apartment, got a plate out of my cabinet, and brought it down and gave it to her. I said, here's one of my plates. Please don't put it in the, um, like, don't put it up all the trays. Just I'll come pick it up off your table. But here's a plate for you to eat off of. I mean, she was like appalled that we weren't, we didn't have like China, you know, to eat the barbecue off of.
0: No, but that, that's also when I worked after I left Texas and came back to work for a barbecue place in Los Angeles. That was a criticism a lot of times is that it was a terrible place because, well, solely because they were serving on butcher paper because mm-hmm. that people expected to have plates and what am that.
1: I? Animal, I'm like, no, I mean, you have a <laughs> knife, it's okay, you have a platter, yeah. you know. <laughs> they think the
0: I've even heard it called like prison like a prison or something and i thought right. I mean, what are you talking about yeah but that's so i thought okay okay so the the first place your first location you did live up above that place so is three
1: that did year. you how many years for three and a half okay
0: what was that like
1: smoky uh <laughs> was it really smoky oh dude extremely like when we finally moved out we actually couldn't take any of our clothes our beds our furniture our sheets uh any white Close, we're all tinted yellow. Um, oh my God. And uh, like n- n- we had to buy all new furniture, everything because like the only thing that came out of there that was furniture wise was my mounts. Cause I wasn't just going to leave them up there, but like, it could not have been good for my health. You know, when oh my I'm gosh, sure, I probably will look back on that time. But you know what? Like I had to do it. You know, when we first opened the Houston store, I didn't really hire anybody with any barbecue experience. Uh, my philosophy was that I wanted to teach them the way that I did things. Um, even if it meant me working 22 hour days for the first four months, we were open, that's what I was going to do because I wanted one, I wanted to set up something sustainable where I didn't have to be on the block all the time. I didn't have to be running the pits all night. Uh, I knew we would never last a long time. Like being that way. And I knew that if I brought other people in, they would also bring in their methods until our culture was so set of this is how we do things kind of also the other thing was that if you start bringing in other people they might influence how I cook too not necessarily that that would be bad but like at the end of the day we have a product that got us here I want to stay true to what we do and and provide it Um, and so for the first four months I was dude it was I slept from two to three in the morning and I slept from two to three in the afternoon pretty much Ah. and that's why we were closed on Monday and Tuesday for so long because uh, come Sunday afternoon when the pits were off I would just like crash out and then sleep kind of all Monday and then Tuesday get up and fire up Wednesday. So we didn't open till six for six days a week until like halfway through this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I did. Wednesday
1: through Sunday, you know? Oh my gosh.
0: But you were younger and it was able, you were able to like, it's, but still like that's, that's tough. And then the fact that could you tell that it was smoky in your apartment? You you could, oh yeah, yeah.
1: When the pits got opened, Mm -hmm. like, my now wife and I would be like, the pits are open. Or like, dude, there'd be times in the night where I'd be like, smells like grease burning and like run downstairs <laughs> and the pits are too hot, you know? Um,
0: uh, it's got like, a weird stress in your life like that. It, it was,
1: but it was, it was one of these things where um, I loved it because like going back to when I was a little kid, like I love and I, I get a lot of energy by being with customers, talking to people, yeah. being with the staff, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so for me, like that time was so special to build relationships with, um, the community. Right. And just listen, talk to people, have people talk to me. Like, I just love that, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I think it really allowed me to establish a lot of the stuff that we do today, but it was when it was time to go, we lived there like too long to the point where there really wasn't uh, enough AC at all to keep it cool in the summer times. And so it would be constantly like 85 degrees up there through the summer. And uh, even with like window units that we would put in. And so it was a hot summer and it was like, I don't know, uh, late October and we got a cool front and there was no heat up there. So we went from like being really hot. And then I woke up the next one morning and I was like, it was like 58 degrees up there. And I turned to Sarah and was like, we're moving i can't do this for another winter like we've lived in this apartment we thought we were only gonna be here six months we've been here for three and a half years we've saved money like we're getting out of here
0: well what, what was it a restaurant that people lived up above before is that what it was
1: um it was a, an odd situation it was uh, a restaurant underneath and the la- old landlord used to live upstairs okay but it wasn't
0: um, but it wasn't obviously barbecue is it but you guys then no, do you have a pit room that you built in the back
1: off the back yeah um it was actually barbecue uh and it had, it had been like six or seven different things. Okay. But the lady, uh it had been a El Tiempo at one point, a ta- El Tiempo Takeria had been like a chicken roaster place, it had been a barbecue joint, it'd been in it this last life, it was an Italian restaurant. But uh the lady would like apparently only sign very short leases uh leases and she was kind of nuts. And if the restaurant was successful, she just raised the rent. And so they had moved, which is like really kind of counterintuitive. You'd think if you had a good concept going, yeah, yeah. you're like, they're paying you, you know, they're it's working. Um, well, that wasn't really her philosophy on things. So one thing led to another and she sold the property and um, another person bought it. And we ended up working out a deal with him and I lived there for three and a half years. So,
0: so do you, other people living there? Now, or no, is it an office?
1: No. It actually looks kind of weirdly like I just moved out. Still, <laughs> bed is still there, sheets are still on it. There are some clothes still. I mean, dude, we literally packed a couple bags. Oh.
0: Left. <laughs> Please send me a photo of that someday. I want to see that. That's yeah. it's like, yeah, all those things. There's a house in Los Angeles and where there's a thing, a horrific murder. This is like in the 40s or the 30s, and it's still apparently when you look through the windows, it's still Christmas time and the presents are still under the tree, like a fake tree or or something, or maybe the tree is dilapidated. But it's such a, it's weird when things are like isolated in time, like frozen in time. That's
1: Oh yeah, like even stuff that's like on our fridge, like reminders to do stuff. Like, I mean, it's just like one of those things, like we're out, we're getting out of here, (laughs) and we're not coming back. So, I mean, I thought it would be cool at one point to like revamp it and then turn it into like this badass Texas barbecue Airbnb experience. (laughs) I don't know what the liability is on that. but Maybe um, if
0: you have some like, proper like ventilation, something special but it, that right. would be what an experience that would be that's not yeah. a bad
1: idea maybe that's their fourth or fifth job that, exactly that's,
0: so yeah to stay above a, a great barbecue place that's wow
1: and you can come down and like cook with the pit masters at yeah. night <laughs> we would do like the completely immersive barbecue experience oh. you know
0: that's perfect. That's please, yeah. And if you're looking for investors, please let me know. And if uh, please email Grant <laughs> if you yeah. want to be on the waiting list for that's really that's that's really interesting. So what then? What made you? Because we've got like not off top, but uh, what made you want to open a place in San Antonio? Did you have family there, or did was there? A, I have, had you live there before, or something?
1: I have some family in the uh, hill country. Okay. I always thought like San Antonio was a good market. Um, you kind of see what happens in Austin if you go to the a lot of the Austin joints and you go stand in the line, like only 25% of the people are actually from Austin. Um, so anytime, yeah. I don't want to say like, oh, I'm going, I want tourists, but like, that's just, you know, like bonus customers, yes. right? Um, Houston doesn't really have, we have a huge city, um, enormous, uh, with a lot of business travel, but we don't have like just a lot of straight up people visiting for fun, you mm-hmm. know? Probably more now than we used to because our food seems so good. But like San Antonio was a, was a community in a city that didn't have like a premier barbecue spot downtown. Kind of had that bonus of convention and mm-hmm. um, travelers and also had like a strong barbecue identity and like people that wanted to eat barbecue and like i don't know it's a cool city right um you go to it like i'm a big sucker for history yes Um, and they do a great job of preserving it there and all those kind of things and just being able to open a place like substantially closer to some of my extended family um my kind of barbecue flame was um lit out in junction texas uh And that's kind of where like that mesquite influence comes from. And like eating barbecue out on my great uncle's ranch out there is just like a very thing that's like at the center of my passion for barbecue, you know, kind of like a catalyst moment for cooking going forward. I mean, one of the reasons I came back and made that salt and pepper brisket out of the um, legends of Texas cookbook was that I couldn't get something that tasted like I could get out there here. Um, And that was a recipe from Cooper's Atlanta, which we, would eat we would eat at so i was literally just trying to recreate what i would eat out there you know so it just seemed like a good business move and we had somebody that approached me i didn't really wasn't running down a whole bunch of rabbit holes over there somebody approached me and said hey you know we have this development we're doing and i love your food and i think you'd be a great fit we want somebody to be have like a flagship barbecue place in downtown san antonio um what do you think and I was like, well, I'll come over there and check it out. And I went and looked and I'm like, you know, these guys were really passionate about barbecue and they really wanted to like, they weren't in it to try to like, get rich or anything like that. They made money doing other stuff. They're like, literally just want to have a place I can go eat barbecue downtown because I worked out. Oh, that's awesome. And so it was just, it was a, it was a really good thing. And um, it was very organic and just kind of came about. So.
0: Was it right before the pandemic that you guys were talking?
1: Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we started talking like, I feel like maybe, a, I want to say the beginning of 2018. Oh, I mean, wow, it takes okay. a long time to open a restaurant like that. Uh, and then they had stuff they needed to do beforehand. And, you know, just one thing lets to another. Let you know but we like, we started construction. We also went through three designs of that restaurant before it. I was very particular with what I wanted. So the design planning phase took a while. And like, then, what did
0: you want it to look like a lodge? Is that sort of the...
1: Well, idea? we wanted it to look like it'd been there forever. Okay. Uh, you go to the outside of it. I mean, it has 130 year old San Antonio brick on the outside. That's- and- um, oh, most people that awesome. come in there and be like, I can't remember what this was before this. I'm like, it was that's, nothing. I love that. Uh, it wasn't I love here. I so much. Um, we hired one of the best classicist architects in the world uh, to design that place. And he's actually from San Antonio. Oh, wow. His name's Michael Ember. Um, and he designed it. And we just really wanted to make a place. If you've been at the Houston store, it has that very like uh, hill country kind of, you know, limestone interior mount old mounts on the wall, wood, like that's what I like. I mean, obviously I'm here sitting in front of a mount. Um, And so that was gonna be like a larger, kind of grander, um, more opulent kind of version of what we have in Houston.
0: What's the seating capacity of that place?
1: It's very large. It's like (laughs) two and a half times Houston. So I don't know, probably pushing like 280, something 300, I don't know, something like that. But we have the whole like acre of park in front of us that we're in. So, like, with indoor-outdoor, I mean, we've had events for a couple thousand people there. Wow. One That's of really the things, events. like, with Houston, like, that really ignited my passion for doing barbecue here was we lived in, I guess, the biggest city, like, you know, single metropolitan area in, in Texas. Um, and we had all these people coming for business travel and leaving. and like, I'm not going to, like, throw, well, screw it. They're probably not watching this. Like, they're eating Papa's Barbecue, which is you know fine for what it is but yeah. it is essentially um you know kind of fast foody mm-hmm. barbecue and they come to texas from new york or wherever and they would eat that and then they'd go home and they'd get online and be like i've had texas barbecue and it's it ain't crap you know oh, yeah. um and so that kind of i was like well if we're living in the biggest city in texas like we need a, a place that like when those people come they can come eat here and go back and tell their friends, like, I went to Texas and I ate barbecue there and it was awesome. And so a similar thing, like, for San Antonio made a lot of sense because there's so many people coming from out of state that, like, I wanted to give that, like, Texas craft barbecue, Mm -hmm. like, aha moment, too. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why it was so exciting to open that store was to be able to um, kind of dip back in. I mean, now, like, seems like everybody is familiar with it here. So getting some customers that had never eaten anything like that before was a really fun process.
0: Yeah, and it's and it'll continue that way. Is that? Are, do you live in Houston?
1: I, I live in Houston. Yeah, okay. I'm born and raised here. So um, families here, uh, my 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 brother, nephews, and my mom, dad, and everybody. So this is home base. That's home base.
0: What now for both places? Is there a line like? Do people like in San Antonio? Would you expect to wait a long time for food, or would it be
1: San Antonio varies very much. You know, if we get a big rush of people from coming from a convention, there will be a line. Uh, One thing I noticed that's very different about San Antonio is that diners tend to uh, go out later. Um, And since we're a place that offers lunch and dinner, people don't really worry about us selling out. So they don't like come at 10 and wait. They know that they can get food. Um, But like in Houston, we have people every day, 30 minutes before just like showing up ready to eat, you know, just kind of queuing up, right? For no other reason than I was like ready to eat early. Uh, in San Antonio, we don't like things sometimes don't get kicking until like noon or past noon, even on the weekends, which was like to me going in there. Like when I opened it, I was freaking out because yeah, know, that must have. Saturday, my sales like 30 minutes into opening it were like horrible, you know, <laughs> and then like come one o'clock in the afternoon, I got a line off the porch. I'm like, what the hell? But I've always been a person. We keep our menu very short, very specific. The whole way I've designed how you go through the line is meant to be extremely fast. Um, and we actually have myself when I live there, or managers like sit there and clock like time you get to the in the line to time you hit the register and get out. And like I want to be having a transaction about every 45 seconds, ideally. Oh, wow. So if you come to a restaurant with a line of 30 people, you should be done with getting your food and paying for your food in 30 minutes in mm-hmm. uh, a, a line of 30 people is actually like 30 or a 30 transaction line is a, is actually a really big line. Yeah, um, yeah. If you start next time you go to a barbecue line, figure out how many actual transactions that's, there are on the line. And if you think about it um, and that's just been like a big thing for me, which is why we don't offer potatoes. We don't offer a lot of things. We don't offer a bunch of crazy sandwiches, because if you think about it, you got a line of 30 people, each person's order takes an extra 30 seconds. That's an extra 15, 15 minutes a person yeah. has to wait. Mm-hmm. Now you do it with a line of 45 people and 30 seconds goes by like that in, uh, in like food service time. So, you know, a minute and a half, think about just like toasting somebody's buns. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, when they order the thing doing that or like assembling a uh, taco or a baked potato. Like, dude, that takes time. Yeah. And if you're going to add an extra minute to everybody's, like, that's how you end up waiting for an hour and 15 minutes when you're like, what the hell, you yeah. know? And especially if you're trying to if you're... risk it in two ribs, you know? <laughs> so, I yeah, don't but there, know. There's,
0: there's, there's never, like, a rapid speed line. You can't get, like, a, a fast pass just for a small order. But, but also, too, like, if you're training somebody. In that line too, that could if they're making potatoes, they're doing things like that sandwiches. Oh
1: yeah, dude, not no bueno. At three
0: minutes, three minutes of that, or four minutes per person. Yeah, right. That's okay. So that makes sense. So you're that's being efficient is, is important. So then the Houston location isn't open for dinner.
1: Uh, it is.
0: Oh, it is okay.
1: Just people in Houston like to eat early. They get to work early. You know, like if you think about it, like the energy markets are open early, and like oil and gas guys tend to get yeah. into the office pretty early. Um, and so usually around 11 o'clock, like they're absolutely ready to eat. You know, on the weekends we might be sold out in Houston around seven something, but we like we're at compat. We, I can't cook anymore, and you know. We're so if someone comes
0: at five, they're they're good. They're good for both locations, and it sounds like San. And that's a great option because I do know of a lot of people that do take their kids to San Antonio or travel to San Antonio. And it's it's good to have an option downtown. a really good option downtown.
1: Yeah. and you know the bar in San Antonio are you know we have full bar service at each store. Um, Our bar service is like that whiskey selection at both stores is phenomenal. The liquor selection at the San Antonio store is like borderline world class. I, mean, I mean, I think I've, I've really heard great bottles too. Um, very under the radar like no matter how many times I tweeted different like writers and stuff about like hey you know our bar is super underrated Um, we should be on the best of certain lists I can never get any traction so we're just the best little bar nobody's heard of do you have a list what you have there it's full of tons of allocated bottles so and they'll just come in and out as people drink them but you know when the Pappy allocation comes out, we'll get at least two or three bottles. We usually have Eagle Rare 17. We have, I mean, we have the the Rare Wellers and um, Boss Hogs. We've had several of those. We had Fitzgerald birthday bourbons of different years. Oh, I mean, wow. we had a lot of really like uh, hard to find stuff. Can they order, if you go to the bar, can you order barbecue there? At no, the bar? yeah, go through the line okay, and then go to the bar and then order your drinks and the reason we do that is that and if it gets really busy like on the weekends when the weather's good we have a bar outside so when you're, if you're waiting in line you can grab something oh, wait. Cool. that's cool um, but the issue is like to keep accounting way easier and more separate because um, alcohol is taxed different than uh, food yeah. i mean it's just so much easier to keep it separated yeah plus if you're selling barbecue in the line like i have some people and this is probably revealing some of my business secrets, but like, we've had people be like, why can't you just put a bucket of beer, like a trough of beer out here for people to get? I'm like, well, that's because you're going to grab a Lone Star and then it's going to, I mean, you're going to pay three bucks for it. And that's going to be the only drink you have. But if you go to the bar after you get your food mm-hmm. and you see, oh, look at that bourbon or, hey, that looks like a great margarita or look at that ranch water you yeah. might try something you haven't tried before and we'll get the upsell and you get to eat, drink something delicious
0: yeah and also too it's and people should be cognizant of the fact that the restaurant the margins are thin and you make money off of the alcohol you make money off of merchant there's thing, there's other ancillary things that you can do to make money and people should be happy with that understand that but also yeah and there's also too it's it's funny too, like a lot of times they will be like free beer for blah 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 and you're like it's not always like the best beer but beer right be. exactly <laughs> but also it's beer and people like right. beer, and it doesn't beer there's bar only
1: beer, two right? types there's free beer and cold beer right
0: <laughs> that's that's true yeah yeah not even close but it's i wanted to i wanted to make sure that we did bring up the fact that you went to ut for uh rhetoric and writing right mm-hmm. and what was that specific to did you want just to become a better writer and speaker or was it something for the the wildlife um being like a well right that
1: you know really how I, that hap- happened was i got in uh and was an economics major and like i'll be the first to tell you like i liked to party in college and i didn't like math and in order to get your degree from ut in economics you had to take like a full set of calculus like it uh, was not happening for me no. um and actually like calculus at ut was a class everybody failed. And then you ended up figuring out if you passed or not when they ran it through the bell curve. Oh, okay. And so it was like brutal. I mean, like all my friends that took her it like, it's the most demoralizing class, <laughs> you know? And it was a series of them. And so I had to bow out before that, but I had kind of discovered these rhetoric classes within the College of Liberal Arts. And I love to write. I loved to write when I was in uh, high school. I liked to write when I was in um, middle school. And uh, I'm dyslexic, so i I really don't like to read very much, but I like to write. So a lot of people be like, "Oh, is it like English?" And I'm like, "Nope, because I don't want to read literature and I don't want to read novels. That's hard for me. But like, I love to like write what's in my head. Um, so there's like the first factor. But I, I'd taken, you know, they had a I think it was like 308 or something like rhetoric. 308 was a mandatory class, and I took it, and I was like, "Hey, that's pretty cool. No tests." I just have to write, you know, three papers um, and kind of like study some cool stuff. And I was, people were saying like, it was about the, um, this class was about the art of debate. And I was like, dude, you know, this it's kind of interesting, right? And so I, I just kind of as an elective, I took another one. Um, and that was, I think like a rhetoric of film or something okay. like that. And um, watching old movies and seeing how like, you know, messages were Uh, and not just old but even current ones like what subliminal messaging are you getting films right and I'm like damn this shit's pretty cool you know (laughs) and so when I bowed out of econ I had all these uh, rhetoric credits stacked up that I was going to use as a like minor or um, just to fill some elective stuff and I was like well man I'm already almost like halfway if I wanted to be a rhetoric major and like looking at the course schedule I'm like man a lot of these classes look really cool like rhetoric of political speeches rhetoric of photography wow just like cool shit to learn right um and so and i i've always been a person that like i love debate i love getting into like uh you know like deep philosophical conversations with people and like you know making your brain kind of hurt like Mm -hmm. stretching it and And, walking
0: away thinking i've just learn something or i need to rethink yeah
1: right and like uh they say you know one of the things i like dyslexic people is like you kind of look at stuff from outside the box and so like rhetoric was an opportunity for me to um like use that skill of being able to look at stuff from different angles um and you know it ruined me because i can't like watch the news now (laughs) like twitter is painful you know like all this stuff are you like uh, learning all these rhetorical fallacies and stuff that are like used all the time now to convince people of things. And you're just like, man, that's all bullshit. And you it's know? been happening forever. <laughs> yeah. And it's been happening forever. Um, so I took those courses and it was like, I say it's a godsend because when I got out and started doing this and started doing business, I do all our social media. I do, all. we live in a world where you have uh, five seconds to make an, imp- uh, you know, convey a message and to make an impression on somebody. Uh, Before Twitter changed theirs, it was 120 characters to get your message across. Mm -hmm. And the cool part about rhetoric was people would think, oh, would you have to write like 20 page papers? I'm like, no, you would write something that would require a 20 page paper in five. Like Uh no words, unnecessary. Like everything to get your point across as clear and concisely um, and as convincingly as possible. Um, and so it really set me up to be able to do things online yeah. to engage cus- future customers kind of uniquely and better than other people. Like even got people who are in like the comm school for advertising and stuff. Like I had a grasp of the power of certain words and the way they're put together and all that kind of stuff that, you know, that can evoke different feelings and image- images and all that kind of stuff that I just, that I kind of naturally used in all of my marketing. Um, so I use that a lot. And, you know, we have I have had people so many people say, you know, oh, well, if you are, you know, rhetoric major, guess you didn't use that very much in your field. And I'm like, well, actually, you know, I was a 24 year old kid that took, you know, five and a half, six years to graduate college. And I wanted to start a barbecue restaurant and I needed to raise seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I convinced seven people to give me three quarters of a million bucks as a 24 year old living on my parents couch. I said, I probably couldn't have done that without <laughs> yeah. being able to speak pretty well and persuasively. Yeah,
0: if you weren't persuasive enough, yes, definitely. You know. That's amazing. And it's, anyway, because I was an English major and a lot of people say, well, you don't you well, of course, I use it all the time. I use it all the time. And it's yeah, it's, like,
1: it's funny, the, the liberal arts degree, when done well and actually challenged in the academic setting, should be, make you able to stretch your mind and look at things like really critically. And that was like the idea. And, and like we had talked about earlier, rhetoric was one of the six pillars of the li- original liberal arts degree. And like, you can see, you know, why that was the case because when you come out, you, you're you supposed to be able to approach problems. You know, we're not, I'm not an engineer. Like I wasn't trained for one thing and that's it. And then I go out and have my job and I'm very good at it. Uh, I'm trained to think critically, you mm-hmm. know? Um And that's not underrated, so you see people bagging on the lib lib arts degrees all the time, but they're yeah they're good if you're in a challenging environment <laughs>
0: well let's hope there's some let's hope there's someone that's younger uh, i don't know if anybody like be fourteen or fifteen or sixteen listening to this but that wants to go to u t for that because th- i don't think every college has rhetoric right rhetoric and writing i think that's like, if you type in rhetoric and writing
1: on google, it comes up with u t like it's it's like the premier one of the premier okay. programs for it in the country if you start reading um a lot of the people who are professors there have actually written a lot of the modern like books that are used for teaching it wow we I mean, took a class man that's a rhetoric of uh, of the gospels oh, and wow. that was like really uh, fascinating Get into like politics or religion here but that was like very um that was very um like hard for me to like detach myself and like look at stuff like take a hard look at things that I didn't want to take a hard look at, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then make my own conclusions uh, from that. And um, it was it was a faith building thing for me, but at the same time, I was like, wow, that was like I feel like that was what college is intended to do is like put mm-hmm. you. It's like really uncomfortable to kind of look at. Some people come out one side of it. Some people reaffirms whatever they believe, mm-hmm. oh, whatever. Yeah. But like that should be what college is about. It's like mm-hmm. really. Pressing you into uncomfortable spaces, like break outside of your own mind,
0: mm-hmm. and and also too because a lot of people come from, a lot of people have haven't left their little world, and so going to college, your hope like it's you know it's there's all the fun part of college, but they're also that's what college truly should be is something that opens your mind to so many other different beliefs and mm-hmm. yeah and and ways of thinking and yeah that's and that's I, actually I would love to take I'd like to audit that class I wonder I'm gonna make a note. Later on for that class because that sounds this sounds really intriguing. It sounds like you had amazing, some amazing courses. You have trouble being dyslexic. You have trouble write writing that you write. Because I have a friend that's really dyslexic and he would flip letters and stuff. He would yeah, do yeah, we we'll do
1: that. Um, yeah. I try to type everything, um, and then like I tell people who are and funny enough, I love to write, but like like grammar uh, has always not like spoken grammar or things like that, but like grammar rules have always been incredibly hard for me to like uh, get uh, or not really get, but like, I don't know. I just have a lot of, I remember being in like eighth grade and okay, so in eighth grade, we had to do like a grammar portion of um, our English class. And I made like a 38 on the, that portion of the test. But also in eighth grade, I took a language enrichment course, which was a creative writing. And I got awarded the highest average in that course. Like there you go. There's like yeah. the the weird kind of flip flop. Um, for me, when I read, I have to read almost every uh, single letter, which most people don't realize that they, yeah, can they read re- blocks recognize yeah even even multiple words at a time. Boom, 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 boom. Sure. Like that's how their brain ingests it. I am literally so I'm like I used to tell my mom when I was little, like my eyes hurt, and they went and got me try to see if I needed glasses. But it was, hey, your, yeah. It was your, yeah it was in my brain not in my eyes you know um that's fascinating but you know so and it's also
0: something like people probably like, you'll grow out of it <laughs> right right
1: I'm like oh no my, my, my uh, grammar on Twitter still sucks and uh, I just did totally disregard it
0: you know what's great is and i I thought I had great grammar like I thought I had a great grasp of grammar but they have an app it's not an app but it's an extension for Chrome that's grammarly have you ever heard of that oh that's cool and it's and it'll I don't know if it's like maybe three bucks a month. It's something pretty cheap, but they'll, and then, cause they send me emails or like this, this month you did greater. And I think they're tracking whatever, but it's, it, it will, it will tell you where to put commas. It'll tell you how to, it'll say these, this word combination doesn't make sense. Or this is a run on sentence. It's like reading, but I don't know if it's maybe
1: That's really cool. That would have saved me so much time yeah. in college.
0: Yeah. Same with so me. Yeah, I think I might have a touch of, or maybe I think my brain, I think everyone's brain works faster than their mouth or their, like their thoughts. Like I'm constantly thinking. But that's <laughs> we've talked about a lot of different subjects. What's this is this is fast. Faci- this is a fascinating. There's a lot of fascinating things. Have you do you? I want to get into the hours, or so people really quickly what people know, so they know the hours of both restaurants. But um, and then they're roughly like what they're almost like two and a half three hours apart. Is that if you're three you hours, do, yeah. three hours, three hours. That's Houston to as Houston to San Antonio is roughly three hours.
1: So many times, no matter how fast you drive it, it's going to be three hours.
0: Be three hours. Okay. Yeah, it's right. like
1: weird. You can drive at seventy-five and it's three. You can drive at ninety and it's three. I don't know how it's possible, <laughs> but it, that's just the way it is. There's
0: something in the middle that's like yeah. stretching it or something. Well, uh what do you write at all
1: now? Do you get a chance to? You do creative writing on your own, or are you gonna ever come out I with not book? Have um, I figured that. I figured that writing about hunting and fishing would be the thing that I could do when I'm done with barbecue. I gotcha. Okay. But I couldn't do barbecue. I couldn't have a barbecue career when I was done having a journalism career. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. now is the time to do this one. You know, maybe on my own. I I would you know, and honestly, like I use uh I use social media as a way to uh, to write, you know, just some stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of like a word junkie too. So like I remember writing papers and being like, That's a good word for that spot. But like I can do better than that. Mm-hmm. And like deleting it out and like finding a more like clear like so, such a nerd, you know. Like, <laughs> no, <but> like, <laughs> Something that is more evocative, something that's like more powerful more mm-hmm. of a better word, you know, like, I don't think a lot of people initially think like that, but it's a cool way to think and I, I, that I kind of get that nerd out on, in myself on, on online. Yeah.
0: So at least people will know that at least that's a creative outlet for you. And that would be, yeah. And the, the fourth, fifth, sixth career of your life, you'll be doing that. And that would be, and, and you'd be doing it for fun because I think it obviously takes a lot of time for you to convey what you want to say. So right. if you, you don't have that time right now. Right. So what, so what are the hours for both restaurants?
1: Uh, 11 to nine and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're open or Friday and Saturday we're open till 10. Okay. And if you're there at the bar and you're having a good time, we probably won't close the doors. Okay. You know, like you can stay there and drink, if you, if you have a few people, you know. <laughs> If you're just like one dude drinking at the end of the bar, yeah, that's different. Yeah, that's different. we're probably going to tell you you need to go home or if a small group of
0: people. Yeah, yeah. that, that we'll makes people. sense. All right, cool. That's awesome. And and then I guess with Pinkerton's, is it Pink- Pinkerton's BBQ.com or is it Pinkerton's Barbecue? I have it on somewhere.
1: Pinkerton's BBQ.com. Okay. If you type in barbecue.com, it'll take you to the same place. Um, and we have communitydotcom which is where all of our merch our sauces our seasonings all that kind of stuff is sold there you can also get there from hingertonsbbq.com
0: okay and then if people can buy all that stuff at the restaurants too
1: uh yeah most of it um it's it's like 100% usually in stock online and like okay. in stock in store 85% of the time
0: okay and so but is is that one the one what's the one the, the, the mushroom camp grand champion yeah is that yep. one available at the stores yes okay cool well this has been so great and i am i'm i'm glad for myself for doing this because i wanted to get know to get to know you better and i hope that people will have gotten that from this and uh i can't wait to visit both locations but it's uh i i, I think that's an ideal idea to do an airbnb that's hilarious that would be very unique i don't think i don't think anybody's doing that at all
1: no, they will now.
0: They will. They. I know. Yeah. All of a sudden, you see like six of them crop up, but they won't be in Texas. Maybe they'll they'll be in weird places. Well, it they is, won't
1: be like one of the like my buddy like, dude, people could literally sleep in the bed that a pit master slept in, and like they could like wear your fucking clothes. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. weird. But there's probably people out there that would pay a good amount of money to do that.
0: Yeah, you could actually give them like you could give them your schedule, what your schedule was, and right. they could if do they could that. It, yeah. yeah, that would be. <laughs> So then it becomes like almost like those cosplay people or those people that like reenact stuff. Or yeah, it's perfect for like being in San Antonio. <laughs> I guess it's Houston, so it doesn't make
1: as much sense. But but it yeah. would be, you know, people would probably do it and then be like, people who are barbecue fans and be like, yeah, screw that. I've never opened a barbecue restaurant. That was horrible.
0: Yeah, actually it's a good way to get- I
1: think that people would just get up there and then like drink and hang out and watch TV and then like go down and sit in the pit room and just like drink more beer and watch yeah. the guys work and then go upstairs and pass out. Yeah, yeah, and then and, and then other uh, friends that they, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they took a thousand photos, and
0: yes, yeah. oh, that's crazy. Thank you Thank so much. You. All right, take Appreciate care. See Bye. You. Bye.